Good morning, all. I want to give a special welcome home to Nathan and Taylor Shepard. They're home from about a month in Colorado Springs. They've been getting training, orientation for their mission service with the Navigators, and we're glad to have them back. And so welcome, Nathan, Taylor, and Lottie. Good to see you guys again. We missed you in your absence. And old Jim Grinnell's back, too. Jim, good to see you, brother. We miss you, too. Laura, we're always happy to see you. Okay. I, I would get all kinds of grief if I didn't throw that in there, too. Um, you know, we should be praying for Nathan and Taylor as well. They're on the path toward the mission field, and now comes for what many of our missionaries is a very difficult part, and that is support raising. And they're already doing it, and they're already actually doing very well, Nathan reported to me this morning. But let's continue to pray for them as they continue on their path to Tajikistan sometime next year. I don't think I'd be saying anything at all controversial if I said that our culture struggles with the truth. We struggle with telling the truth. We struggle with believing the truth. And then, of course, there's fake news, right? But your idea of fake might be different from my idea of fake. So what's true and what isn't? There are Senate hearings. And you know what the Babylon Bee says about the Senate? From now on, they will be conducted by Hugh Jackman and his character as P.T. Barnum. That's fake news, folks, but I like that one. You know, we know that in the Senate hearings about Brett Kavanaugh, the truth is that someone didn't tell the truth. There's some truth in these quotes about truth. Aldous Huxley wrote, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you mad. (laughs) Will Rogers said, If you've ever injected truth into politics, you'd have no politics. But we get even closer to the truth if we hear what former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher said and what writer Flannery O'Connor said. Margaret Thatcher said, Of course it is the same old story. Truth usually is the same old story. And then Flannery O'Connor, the writer, said this, Truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. Clearly, if we believe the Word of God, truth is not subjective. It's objective. If it's truly true, it's true for you and it's true for me. You know, you hear that sometimes from people. Well, it may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Well, if it's true, it's true. Period. End of sentence. After all, we know what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the truth. And if we believe that Jesus is not just truth, but the truth, the embodiment of truth, as well as the way and the life, as he said in John 14, 6, then his word is truth. Because he is the word made flesh. If we as his followers, his servants, believe this, then we don't get to decide what truth is. We get to discover it. We get to learn it. And upon discovering the truth, learning the truth about anything, we get to believe it and live by it and trust in it. But here's the problem. And it's not just a problem with the world apart from Christ. That's an easy part of it to identify. The world has a truth gap. Yes, gap, 
is intentionally capitalized because, as we'll see, it's an acronym for something I want to look at this morning. It's a problem with unbelievers, but it can also be a problem that we as believers in Christ must wrestle with as those who claim to be followers of the one who says he is the truth. Here's why this is a problem. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do what we want to do. We want to believe what we want to believe. It's in our sin nature to be proud. It's part of our fallenness to want what we want, not what God wants. And that pride leads to our choosing attitudes and choosing behaviors that are the opposite of the truth that's revealed to us in Scripture. That's kind of what this cartoon illustrates. Notice that the line for comforting lies is out the door, but no one is in line for unpleasant truths. Don't we see that? We want to do what we want to do. Our culture has been described as one which practices radical autonomy. I think that very descriptive phrase almost perfectly captures this cultural moment in which we're all living. Radical autonomy. I decide. I decide about everything. I decide what I want. I decide what I feel. What I want and what I feel is paramount. That is, I am in complete control of my choices. And no one can infringe on what I say, what I do, or what I believe. Not science, not facts, certainly not the truth as defined in Scripture. This goes so far, and we've seen this in our culture as well, as many people wanting to believe I can choose things like my gender. I don't want to just do what I want to do. I want to be what I want to be. And in this example that we cited here, Scripture tells us in Genesis 1.27, male and female, he created them. Now, if we don't accept Scripture as authoritative in our lives, then we can very easily dismiss truths like this and like many others. But if we do accept the Bible as God's Word, then our, and it's also our authority for faith, what we believe, and practice what we do. If those things are true, then we have to come to grips with truths that may be hard. I believe there are three big reasons why biblical truths are sometimes hard truths. Now, there may be other reasons, so don't come up to me after the sermon and say, well, you know, it's probably because of this and this. Maybe so, okay? But these three reasons seem to me to encompass at least most of the objections that the world has, and sometimes even we as believers struggle with related to truth claims. So here is our truth gap. Sometimes truth is hard to grasp or to understand. Other times truth is hard to accept as true. And still other times the truth is hard to practice or to carry out in our lives. Of course, sometimes truth is all three of these things at the same time. So this reality, these things that are hard about truth, bring about a truth gap in our culture and even in our experience as believers in Jesus. Our society, for example, believes that love means total acceptance. It means just being nice to each other. And that brings about a gap. That's a separation between what we think and the truth of what the Word of God actually teaches us about love. That's because we've redefined love according to our own preferences. 
to mean that it's acceptance, it's even affirmation in whatever you do. Well, I love you, so that's okay. The problem is we ignore the Bible's truth claim about what love really is, if we buy into that. In addition to being patient and kind, which the Bible does tell us love is, the Word tells us this about love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, it does not love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. When's the last time you heard that explained as part of what love really is? So here's one example of how this truth gap in our culture has redefined love to mean acceptance and affirmation for almost anything. And since our culture also believes that the Bible commands us not to judge, even though the Word declares that we are to judge with righteous judgment, just not hypocritical judgment, this truth about love in 1 Corinthians is now a truth claim that becomes hard to accept. Because love, after all, our culture believes about affirming and not judging. So here's another truth we can discover and accept and trust in as believers in Christ, but may still struggle with that truth gap. Yet if we're honest, there are at least some truths in Scripture that are not hard just for unbelievers. They can be hard for the same reasons for us as those who really claim to follow Christ. When we cannot grasp them, we want to redefine them to understand to fit our wants, to fit our needs, rather than wrestle with how they might actually apply to us. When we can't accept them, we want to reject truth to accommodate our own desires. And when we can't practice them, we want to ignore truth to make our obedience to what we consider and maybe have redefined the truth to be easier. You know what? I thought about this as I was preparing this message. I could have very easily titled this morning's sermon, Lessons from Luann. Who remembers Luann Goodberry? A good segment of our congregation does. I recall an incident in our house church many years ago involving Luann. Many of you remember Luann. She's in the lower right-hand corner of this picture from about 20 years ago. See if you can figure out who the other people are. You know who's right in the middle? Jason Feathers. Don't you love that? Yeah. She was part, Luann was part of TCF for more than 30 years before she went to be with the Lord in 2007. And Luann had epilepsy, and the seizures that she had took a cumulative toll over the years on her mental state. But the truth is, when many of us might compare ourselves, our commitment to being at church with hers, we'd probably come up on the short end, because Luann absolutely loved to be here at TCF. She loved to be at house church. She had a genuine love for the Lord, and she had a genuine desire to see other people come to Christ. Now she lived the last several years of her life in a very difficult place, Woodland Park home. It was difficult to live because some of the people there were incredibly hard to live with. They had all kinds of issues, okay? Some of you who visited Luann there understand and know this. But despite her own mental challenges, Luann was probably one of the most competent people there at Woodland Park home. Now one time in house church, we were sharing prayer requests. And Luann spoke up and asked us to pray for her. Apparently, sometimes people would harass her, they would poke her, they would kind of prod her. And so Luann asked for prayer so that, as she put it, she wouldn't slug people. <laughs> pray for me so I won't slug people. <laughs> so we did. We prayed for her that she wouldn't slug people. 
And after we prayed for her, I felt the Lord directing me to a passage of Scripture to read to her after our prayer time was over. And I thought of Matthew 5. And here's what that says, verse 38 through 42. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So I wasn't encouraging Luann to just be a punching bag and, okay, here you go. Go ahead and slug me. I won't slug you back. To stand there and take it. But I wanted to encourage her not to retaliate. That's the point of it, not to take vengeance into her own hand. That's at least one of the key points of this passage of Scripture where Jesus is quoted. Well, Luann listened to this passage of Scripture, and then she said to me, I hear what you're saying, but I don't like it. Don't you love Luann's honesty? And don't we feel that way sometime? At that moment, after the laughter died down, I said to Luann, I understand that, Luann, because there are hard truths in Scripture that sometimes we just don't like very much. That's what we're here looking at this morning. Why are some of the truths in Scripture hard truths? Why is there this truth gap? There is truth. Do we all agree on that? Because some, some places in our culture don't even believe that there really is truth. But there is truth. There are some things that are true, and there are some things that are not true. There may be some things that are somewhat in the middle, but they're not important things. Anything that's true, it's either true or it's not. Truth is knowable. We can know truth, even if it's not fully understandable all the time. But often, even if we do understand it, and even if we do accept it, it's still hard. The truth is hard. I think it's hard for these primary reasons, these three primary reasons that I listed a moment ago. I think for most of us believers in Christ who take the Word of God seriously, and that's kind of a caveat you've got to throw into this. Do we take the Word of God seriously? The first two might not play into our lives as much as the third. In other words, some truths are hard to grasp and hard to accept. Other truths are hard to accept and maybe hard to practice. And I suppose there are some that may be all three. We can think of some truths we see around us in the everyday world, truths that are hard to grasp or fully understand. Now, just because there's someone who can grasp how we can take moving pictures with a video camera and have that camera send those pictures to a video console, and have that video console put those pictures together with a graphic or two, have those moving pictures sent to a transmitter and then sent 22,300 miles into space to a geosynchronous orbiting satellite, and then back down to receiver or a network hub, which sends pictures back up to another satellite, which sends it to another receiver, and then it takes that video and it sends it through wires or perhaps through the air to a receiver in my television set where I can press any button on my remote, area-specific button, maybe like the on button, and I can see what's happening at this very moment in New Orleans or New York or China, for that matter. Just because there's someone who understands that doesn't mean I can fully grasp it all. Now, Steve probably understands more than I do because that's part of his job. But I guarantee you Steve doesn't even understand all of it. He doesn't understand why and how it works, even when we can understand the nuts and bolts of something, how it happens. As much as I, I do understand some of this process, I learned it as part of my job back in a former life, 
I might not understand why it works the way it does. Why can we take pictures and turn them into analog or digital signals and then transmit them from one place to another and have it show up on a screen like that? What processes allow us to do that? Why does it work that way? So even though we may understand elements of it, in other words, we understand some of it, my education didn't fully explain that to me, the science behind why video is translated into a stream of data that can be sent hundreds of thousands of miles at the speed of light and then reproduce on my television screen a fraction of a second after it actually happens. That's pretty amazing if you think about it. I do understand some of the mechanics, but not in its entirety. And it's not unlike some of the truths that we read in the Word of God. Here's the point. Just because I don't fully understand something doesn't mean it's not the truth. Just because I don't understand it or you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not the truth. And of course, there are those who do understand this, yet we might be able to accept it even without understanding it. Why? Because we see sufficient evidence that it's true. Somebody can explain that to me and I go, huh? But I see the evidence. It's on the screen that it's true. There is someone who does understand fully the things presented as truth in the Word of God. In the case of biblical truth, the one who understands is really the only one who counts. God understands, doesn't he? God understands. So my full understanding of something, my ability to grasp a truth, is not a factor in deciding whether something is true or untrue. It's not really even a factor of deciding whether I believe is something true or untrue. For example, you can't, I don't fully understand gravity. I understand some of how it works. I know our Earth spins, and that's why we don't go fly into space, right? Okay, I understand that. But even if I don't understand it, you can't deny it's true when you slip on the ice and you don't fly upward, okay? You hit the ground hard instead. So our inability to grasp something is a reason that some truths are hard truths. We may not fully understand, for example, how oxygen made up of molecules is something we can breathe. In fact, we must breathe it to stay alive. But rocks, they're made up of molecules too. Different kind of molecules, obviously, but they're made of molecules. We can't breathe rocks, can we? We must not breathe rocks. Now, clearly, we all fully accept the truth that you can't breathe rocks and you must breathe oxygen. But do we all understand the significant difference between the molecules? How rock molecules become rock molecules and oxygen molecules become... Some of you can probably explain some of that to me, right? And I probably still wouldn't get it. Some of our scientists here. But the point is, here's the point, okay? Just because we don't grasp something or understand it fully doesn't make it any less the truth. In the Word of God, certain truths are taught that we will never, this side of eternity, we will never fully grasp. Try this one on for size. Is there anyone here who can explain to my way of understanding how God has always existed? Anybody want to take a shot at that this morning? You can come up and I'll give you the mic. He has no beginning, no end. He just always was. I can't fully grasp that truth. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God. So that means that at the beginning of time, as we know it, God was already there. So no, I can't fully understand that, but that doesn't mean it isn't the truth. 
That's a hard truth we cannot fully grasp. But we're not just accepting it in blind faith. Here's the other thing. There's a preponderance of evidence. Let me throw in a little legal jargon here. There's a preponderance of evidence for the truths that we see in Scripture. Yes, there are things that require faith, and we can still choose to believe or not, but we have to ignore certain evidence to disbelieve. We could go on with these truths that are hard to grasp. The Trinity, Jesus being fully God and fully man, the virgin birth. How can we grasp these things? But they are truths that are central. They are key to our faith. So they're part of the creeds that describe our beliefs as followers of Christ. Again, we always have the choice to believe these truths or to not believe them. But if we are to call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we must decide what to do with these truths. Then there are those truths that are hard to accept. A lot of us can struggle with that too, even as believers. Death is one of those. We can't deny death. We see it all around us. And when it hits us up close and personally, it's an especially hard truth. But it's there. And it's a hard truth. It's a hard truth of life. The reality of death is a hard truth of life. Didn't Luann hit the nail on the head when I read the passage from Matthew to her? I hear what you're saying, but I don't like it. That's another way of saying I may or may not believe this truth, but even if I do believe it, it may be a hard one to accept. I don't like it because it requires something of me. It requires me to believe something I don't like. In fact, the whole discourse of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount is full of truths that are hard to grasp, hard to accept, and many of them that are even harder to practice or live by. Let me read the five verses that are just after the verses I read earlier, the ones that I said I read to Luann from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now there's a whole list of hard truths in that short passage of Scripture. Huh? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Anybody here find that easy? Pray for those who persecute you. Persecute. We don't know what persecution is in comparison to what we even prayed for today. But we understand persecution in some ways. Somebody's just unkind to you. Maybe they're maybe they don't they don't understand you and they treat you in some evil way. Pray for them. Pray for them. Be perfect. There's a hard truth. Even as God is perfect. Wow, what an incredible standard that is for us to live up to. It's also worth noting something here about the word perfect. The Aramaic word for perfect can mean complete or whole. So considering the context and interpretation, what we can see is this is something we are to attain to, something now incomplete, but in which we move toward completion. But it's still pretty hard. 
we're moving toward perfection. Be perfect is what Jesus said. It doesn't lessen the force of this admonition at all. God's purpose here is clear. It wasn't to set an impossible standard. God's purpose here in this passage is to teach mercy. It wasn't a guide for personal revenge, but it did reveal God's high standards of behavior for his followers, those who believe in him. Don't you still hear people say sometimes, I was just doing what he did to me first. Haven't you heard that excuse? Jesus was telling us that our first reaction when somebody else does us wrong should not be to get even. In fact, it should be the opposite. Our heart should be love and forgiveness. Now, clearly, this doesn't come to us naturally. It doesn't come to me naturally. It just doesn't. It can only come by the empowering of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives as Jesus changes us more and more into his image and likeness. We could probably say that about living up to most of the hard truths of Scripture. It doesn't come to us naturally. We need the Holy Spirit to help us do this truth or believe this truth or live out this truth. Even with this explanation, even with a fuller, more accurate understanding made possible by investigating the context of the commands that we read in Matthew a moment ago, for example, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and be perfect. They're still hard truths. Even with a little more explanation, a little bit more investigation, they're still hard truths. We may, with this kind of closer look at a passage of Scripture, do better with that difficult aspect of hard to grasp. We may grasp it a little bit more. We may understand it a little bit more. But the truth might still be, even if we can grasp it, hard to accept. And then we still have to worry about that last one, hard to practice especially when we compare these things to our world standards. And that's what much of what Jesus was doing on the Sermon, of the Sermon on the Mount. He was turning the world standards upside down, showing us that God's standards, his standards for those who follow him, are so much higher and so much different than the world standards. Here Jesus is talking to you and to me. And though the world tells us, don't get mad, get even, Though the world says our personal enemies should be the targets of our hatred, though the world standard of perfection is so much below God's standards, nobody's perfect after all. What a great excuse that is for all kinds of behavior that phrase has become. huh? Yet these are still truths that demand a response from us as individual believers in Christ. We can dismiss them as not applying to us. That, that, that's not, that doesn't apply to me. Or we can wrestle with them and recognize that they may be hard to accept, they may even be harder to practice to live out in our daily lives. But in that recognition, we can pray, God, help me to be more like Jesus. Jesus who embodied these standards. There's a similar passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, where Jesus says that we are to be merciful as God is merciful. So if we're to take that idea and apply it here in the Matthew passage, we might assume that at least one thing Jesus meant here is that we must be perfect in our acts of mercy and kindness, for that's what God is like. So these truths clearly fall into the hard-to-accept category and the hard-to-practice categories. Now that last one, hard-to-practice, that's where really most of us live, isn't it? I think most of us would say, you know, I don't fully grasp, but I grasp enough of the truth of Scripture I think most of us would say, I really accept what Scripture says. Scripture is my authority, and I, 
I, I choose to believe it and I choose to work on practicing it, but most of us find the last one hard, hard to practice, hard to live out in our daily lives. So this is where it not only impacts the world, we can find examples in the world, but we find examples in our own hearts more so here. That's where we live. Mark Twain reportedly once remarked, it wasn't the parts of the Bible that he didn't understand that bothered him, but those parts that were perfectly clear. Think about that. And there are passages of Scripture that are perfectly clear. There are passages of Scripture that are not hard to grasp. They're easy to grasp. Even though we might be able to explain them more to our fully understanding, we cannot, we never would want to, blunt the force of these hard truths where God in his word challenges us to change. He challenges us to change. He seeks to mold us and shape us. And the whole, that whole phrase, which I use a lot, I think about a lot, it implies hardship, doesn't it? Something molded and shaped, there's a pressing that takes place. It's not easy when we are being molded and shaped, but yet we need to respond in such a way, recognizing that these truths are hard, and that's where most of us live. There are those truths that are hard to grasp, there are more that are hard to accept, but in the practice of those truths that we do understand and we do accept, most of us struggle living up to these truths. So when we hear Jesus' admonition, turn the other cheek, when we hear him say, love your enemies, when we hear pray for those who persecute you, or even when we hear something that's not really that hard to grasp, not really that hard to accept. How about 1 Corinthians? We read another verse from that a moment ago, but 1 Corinthians 13. Let's read verses 4 through 7. This is the part everybody knows, the part that people use in weddings, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. That's what we read earlier. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So think about this. When we read or when we hear that passage of Scripture, and then we compare our own practice of the things that this Scripture teaches us about the truth of real, genuine love, we see how poorly we measure up. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, patient, kind, not boasting, not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is a true description of genuine biblical agape love. But it's a hard truth. Why? Not because we don't grasp it, not because we don't accept it as being true, but because it's hard to practice. It's hard to consistently put into practice, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we could go on and on. You know, as I prepared this message, I came across so many truths that really we could classify as hard truths for one of these three reasons that creates this truth gap. How about the parable of the workers in the vineyard that Jesus told, where the workers who worked all day got the same pay as the workers who came late and worked only an hour? That's a hard truth. That's hard to accept, isn't it? That's hard to accept because of our human concept of fairness. We want to be fair, right? So it's hard for us to accept. How about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24? Take up your cross. Whoa, that's a hard truth. That's hard to accept. And if we can accept it, it's certainly hard to practice. 
But here's where I want to begin to wrap things up this morning. And I want to do it by recognizing that though there are many truths that are hard to grasp, hard to accept, or hard to practice, that doesn't mean they are not good. That doesn't mean they are not good. In Matthew 19, for example, Jesus reiterated a whole list of hard truths about riches, about our attitudes, about our behaviors. And it seems that the disciples really grasped it. Okay? They understood what Jesus was saying. And it seems that they likely accepted it as the truth. But they didn't see how they could put these things into practice. So at the end of this passage in Matthew 19, we read in verses 25 and 26, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they asked, who then can be saved? So they got the implications of it. It was true. They grasped it. They accepted this as truth. But then they said, how do we practice this? Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So for the believer in Christ, we talked about this a moment ago, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to practice these things. We must submit these truths to the Lord, these things that we have a hard time practicing. And that brings us to another good hard truth. That truth is reflected in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God that no one should boast. If we combine this hard truth with the hard truth that Jesus told the rich man, it might go something like this. It is hard for a rich man to get into heaven. But the good news is he gets to heaven by accepting God's gift of grace, not by keeping his commandments. Now if the rich man does accept God's gift of grace and thus does receive eternal life, he will obey God's commandments. The next verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10, tells us that. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But this is a hard truth for us to accept. We can't earn our way to heaven. That's hard for our culture, too. But it's even hard sometimes for us as believers. Yet it's also a wonderful truth. Because think about this. If that's what it took, if keeping God's commandment perfectly is what it took, we'd all walk away dismayed and disappointed like the rich man walked away from Jesus because we are by nature unable to do it without the empowering and equipping of the Holy Spirit. But thanks be to God, thanks be to God, as followers of Christ we live under his grace and we're left with a choice. These are all hard truths. They're all hard truths, even the good ones, even the ones about His grace, which means His unmerited, unearned favor toward us. They're hard to grasp, they're hard to accept, they're hard to practice or live by, but they all, in some way, require a response from us. So we can believe, we can start by accepting. We can believe what Jesus claimed about Himself in John 14, 6, I am the truth. Now this truth itself is a hard truth that most of our pluralistic culture really, really struggles with. And we can believe it or not, but we must make a choice. It's an either-or, folks. We can believe it or not believe it. If we believe it, or if we believe in any of the just sampling of the biblical truths that we've looked at this morning, we really just glanced at them. Each one's worthy of a sermon of its own. 
If we grasp these truths enough to believe them, we grasp, we accept, we eventually have to accept them, but it cannot end there. If we accept these truths, we must put them into practice. We must do something with these truths. They all require something of us. And that's at least one reason that they're hard. They require something of us. Jesus doesn't give us the option of cafeteria Christianity. First time I ever, Jim, Jim and I were talking about that this week, and first time I ever heard that phrase was related to Catholics. I was raised Catholic, and I used to hear the phrase cafeteria Catholics. They believe most of what the church says, but they pick and choose, and they don't believe this because, because it's hard for them to grasp, it's hard for them to accept, or hard for them to practice, or maybe all three. But Jesus doesn't give them that option. He doesn't give us this option. Picking and choosing the truths that we want to live by. He said in chapter uh, 1 of 1 John, verses 6 and 7, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So let me read that first verse again. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. There's the practice. There's the P of the truth gap, folks. Now here's the Bill Sullivan paraphrase. You may not have heard of that. You've heard of the NIV and the ESV and the KJV. But here's the BSP of this particular passage. If we claim to be Christians, yet don't live like Christians and don't put into practice the truth of the word, we're lying because we're not really Christians. We're not living it out. Fruit will follow, folks. Fruit will follow our profession and true belief in Christ, our acceptance of his amazing grace. Now that's a hard truth, but I believe it's a real truth. Jesus said of himself, I am the truth. And he prayed for us, and he prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17. Verse 17, he, he prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And again, all these passages of Scripture, we could, we could preach a sermon on any individual one of these. So as we close, let's consider this. Let's walk in. Let's live by. Let's practice the truth as revealed in the one who said, I am the truth. He also claimed he was the one and only way to the Father. And in embracing the truths that are declared in his word, we are embracing him. When we embrace his truths, we embrace him. It's as simple as that. Let's not be afraid of the hard truths, folks, but let's embrace them and embrace the one who is the truth. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us to figure things out on our own, but you left us your word, and your word is truth. And Lord, we recognize the truth gap that some of us have in our own hearts, that there are truths that are hard to grasp, there are truths that are hard to accept, and there are seemingly more truths that are hard to practice or live by. So, Father, we recognize that we can only live by these truths. We can only understand, grasp, and accept them by your Holy Spirit. So we ask, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would indeed, by your Holy Spirit, help us to grasp, accept, and practice the truths of your word. We want to live by your truth, Lord. We want your truth to be the hallmark of all of our lives 
So we commit this to you, Father, and ask you to do the work that only you can do in us and help us, Father, be empowered by your Spirit to cooperate with what you're doing in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.